Welcome to the Curiosity Solution. I'm your host, Beverly Beal. Join us as we explore the science of curiosity, share stories of people who've used curiosity to improve their lives, and maybe inspire some aha moments along the way. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Curiosity Solution. Um, uh, Today's guest is Megan Nguyen. Uh, This amazing human. uh, Well, you know how sometimes you, you make plans and you think you're meeting with a whole bunch of people and only one person shows up who turns out to be the best gift you could have ever received in your life. Uh, well, Megan is, Dr. Megan is one of those, those people. Uh, I met Megan when um, I was hosting a networking meeting here in Austin, and she was the one who showed up. And uh, through that interaction, I learned so much about well, just about how I look at the world, how she's looking at the world, how and how that all kind of interacts and intersects. Uh, so Dr. Megan is a PhD, obviously. She works with children. Uh, she works with adults. She works with pretty much anybody who really is needing help with the mindset shift. Uh, her company name is so intriguing because I think we're all familiar with the term black sheep, but Megan con- uh, has has coined the term golden sheep. So again, thank you, Megan, for agreeing to be on the show. Um, let's talk a little bit about why you chose life coaching under the name of golden sheep life coaching. So thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate our friendship and I'm so excited to be here today. Um, but it's interesting because this was the first question that you had asked me after we had met why golden sheep. And so I think it's really interesting that we start your podcast episode with, with this question too. Um, I really actually began with brainstorming business names with how I identify and see the world and my experiences and what led me to getting to that moment of picking a business name to begin with. Um, I, Grew up in a blend of cultures. I'm Asian American. Um, My parents worked really, really hard. Um, I'm the only child and Asian immigrant parents. They raised me with really high standards in a perspective that they had adapted within their culture. Um, They came to this country, built a life for themselves, had me. And here comes me where I'm, of course, part of that world, but also very American as well. And as we all know, what is really American anyways? Um, the beauty of America is this melting pot of cultures and perspectives. Um, so I always felt like just like this odd black sheep, if you will, in any culture, in any direction that I looked. Um, and even pursuing grad school, I was never the typical therapist. I was never the typical student. Um, so I thought, you know, why, you know, the black and white thinking is just not the way to go because people don't, we don't, we're not created as black and white and we don't operate in the black and white. So life is this big blob of gray. So gray is kind of an ugly color, uh, in my opinion. Um, So I thought, why not choose to be golden? Um, Take the power back and the polishing doesn't end after you become golden. Um, You still learn, you still evolve. So I thought that's a cool name, Golden Sheep, and um, it'll start conversations for sure. Absolutely. Well, the thing that I like about, uh, if you think about gold, uh, again, in the feng shui tradition, uh, anytime you take a raw material, 
like you know, uh, like the you know, gold ore, uh, you know, the, those the gold nuggets. You have to add the fire uh, to melt it down in order to create something new, usually jewelry or um, you know, teeth. I mean, <laughs> all kinds of interesting uses <laughs> for gold. Um, yeah. But the neat thing about it is the transformational uh, ability of gold to take on many forms. It does require fire. It does require heat. Uh, and and so you know, the more I was thinking about your this golden sheep part, uh, it really is all about helping people transform this raw material of their experiences into something even more refined. Um, so is so again, kind of coming back a little bit to to talking about that immigrant experience. Um, I mean, in in some ways, uh, you have the best of both worlds and almost you know the worst at times. Not not worse, but you know. That, but it's that it's that challenge of taking the and honoring the the sacrifices that your parents and their family members went through. Um, and finding a way to take that raw material and transform it into something that really is is what you need for existing in this culture. Um, can you speak to a little bit of how sometimes that creativity and that creative process, the curiosity of how to combine those, has worked personally for you? And then maybe speak to how you take that um, to help others find that, that curiosity piece of their own? Yeah. Um, I, I felt like my entire life has always been the battle of the cultures. It's just been clash after clash. Um, and there were moments where I almost rejected the, the Asian side of me. And then there were moments where I completely rejected the American side of me. And I, I think the essence is life's journey is coming to the conclusion that it's not a balance. It's not a fraction. It's a blend. So I think just accepting that I am all of it and whatever people's cultural, personal, spiritual profile is, it's a blend of everything that you have been and everything that you are and everything that you will become. Mm. So, I like that. Um, yeah. Um, so and it's, it's still, it's still ref like a, a process, you know, like sometimes I, I think, okay, I, I got it down and I come home, I speak to my parents and my grandparents and I'm like, well, you know, do I think this way anymore or do I, I want to readapt this perspective again? You know, again, coming back to using the metaphor of a sheep, um, the, the wool's <laughs> always growing. Um, and, and, and so, you know, you can, you can shear off some of the old stuff and then new, new comes on. Um, that's interesting. Uh, get, I, I'm, so those of you who are just listening, you cannot see the difference in the age here. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in her parents' age group, and uh, Megan is a freshly minted um, PhD. So this uh, beautiful young scientist over here, bringing all of her clinical skill set and knowledge to her uh, client base. Um, I have a lot of the wisdom of, of, well, years of that. So let me then ask, you know, you, you know, in your clinical study here with, uh, with all of this, um, Megan, you originally were planning on working more with children. What was it that drew you to working with children? And 
is that uh, is that still going to be the main focus of of your practice? Well, I think it was almost by pure interest. I, I love the nature of I mean, I started off in elementary education with curriculum design um, and looking at how we can better teach and help kids learn and encode different ways to learn math, for example. Um, and I just was really fascinated by the, the child brain and how it varies so much developmental stage to develop de developmental stage with a kid. Um, so I was intrigued by that. Um, and then as I evolved into the research aspect, I really liked working with kids on a participant co data collection level. They were just so much more fun. Keeping an adult engaged in research is not as fun as keeping a kid engaged. And so I, I love the imaginative aspect. I'm a huge Disney fan myself. Um, so I think I'm just a little big kid at heart. So that was the initial um, draw to pediatrics. Um, and then I did a rotation at Texas Children's Hospital and fell in love with pediatric psychology, which was that perfect blend of research, therapy, um, and just working with people. Um, and as you know, too, working with children does not actually mean that you're working with the kid, you're actually working with a family system. So it was the perfect blend of working with everybody involved, whether it be the caregiver or the child. Um, and so merging into working with adults, um, as, after I completed training and came back here, all of my referrals were adults. And ironically, they were people my age who looked to me to say, you have everything figured out. And I thought I had everything figured out. I reached that milestone. And what's next for me? And, you know, without discrediting my own life journey, I'm like, whoa, I'm so far from figuring out anything because that's the thing you figure out is you'll never have it figured out. You just go along for the ride of life. So true. I <laughs> I can absolutely speak to that um, because uh, I think I am. I you know, just when I think that I've got something figured out, some new bright shiny object comes zipping along. It's like, oh, maybe I need to go explore that. Uh, <laughs> um, and that's that's the challenge. I imagine. So so when you were working with children, um, because I I am very. I have enough friends that still have children uh, that are in that um, that precarious situation between you know that 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 cusp of adolescence and adulthood, or you know the going through the puberty craziness. I mean, come on, we've all survived it, and I think survive is the optimal word. Um, what advice would you have for really read? refining, re-remembering that the child, the childhood wonder, that the childhood curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, do you have, would you have any advice for anybody who's watching or listening on what they can do to almost become the, you know, give, give, give some good life coaching tips for, for people to <laughs> give to their inner, inner teen. I think it starts with, Allowing yourself to define what magic is for you now. Mm, I love magic. Because it may, it may have changed. Um, and for me, magic is still going to Disney World, <laughs> as silly as that sounds. Uh, but maybe magic for you is just being able to get off at the time that you say you're going to get off. Or being able to really just do nothing in the time that you choose to do nothing in. 
or maybe it's having children and being in their presence and knowing that they're healthy and well. So I think just what is magic for you? And the whole idea of why magic disappeared isn't because we grew up and we got all bitter and dark. It's truly because we grew up to be adaptive and to be adaptive, you have to be protective of yourself. And so as you grow older, you go through different life experiences, both good and bad. And our brain almost encapsulates the make sure that you stay away from these things that can hurt you. And so when we start putting these barriers and blocks up, we, we close the curtain to all the magic, the, 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 the darkness too, but also the magic. And so to open that curtain again and reevaluate, okay, what is magic and where can I see it again, despite the darkness that will always be there. You know, you just described um, what happens when a lot of people end up self-medicating again to, to buffer the, the pain they also buffer and uh, diminish the joy. And, you know, sometimes it's helpful to have what I call spiritual Novocaine, um, but it's when that becomes a crutch. Because yeah. nobody wants to have a cavity filled without having the, the shot, and without having the numb, you know, the gums numb. That's, that's insanity. Um, the, um, the magic, the magic. Um, at what age do you, did you see the curiosity start to diminish in, in the, the children that you were working with in when you were doing your clinical rotation? I always say the first decade or so of a child's life is watching the world around them. What's okay. What's not okay. Oh, that's how you react. Okay. That's what makes mom happy. And then after that point, they start realizing that the world has been watching them. And so it's such an immersive point in this preteen stage where you're like, okay, now I, I am, my body is changing. My emotions are rampant. My amygdala is on fire. <laughs> and I also, everyone's watching me do this thing that I have no idea what to, how to do it and when to do it and all that. And so I think it's not necessarily losing the magic, but I think that race to becoming a, an adult and figuring things out and thinking that once you're an adult, you have all this like freedom almost when so far from the truth. Um, I almost feel like we lose magic when we chase something be in, in, in that far future and not necessarily look at the magic around us here. Mm, so like you're chasing a big oak tree when you're in a field of roses. Yeah. The, again, that, that, uh, so again, it sounds to me like you're simply, uh, helping people understand how to maintain presence, how to, you know, yeah. be here now as, uh, Eckhart Tolle, uh, has, has written about and, and continues to espouse. How hard though is that to help a child, a, a teen, stay present when let's face it that soup of hormones that they're swimming in is not pleasant oh my gosh by just simply validating that mm. because teenagers i love working with teens or preteens because as i said it's that shift of the world has been watching me and it's so fascinating because they just they're autonomous enough for adults expect so much of them but clearly not enough to be a full adult yet. I mean, some adults even need some support. Um, so I think just validating what they're going through and what they see as their truth 
is, 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 I think is the most important step is how are you going to intervene with something if that person doesn't even feel heard? Yeah, that piece of communication, again, it does not limit itself just to teens. It does, but it yeah. works for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, I mean, does your background, does your training also include working with people who have had addictive uh, challenges? Or is that a whole separate training? That's a whole separate training in a whole separate world. Um, it's a whole separate specialty, I would say, um, as well. But any behavior change, this is, again, completely different. But it starts with the same. It's looking at what has worked, what hasn't worked. Um, what are, I don't like the word triggers, but what really is the root of the continuous behavior? Um, and what are some barriers and what things have you tried, right? So it starts with, with that very, very basic, again, very different, but change is hard at any level. Um, and of course, you have the, the, the chemical dependency of drug addiction too. Um, but I think it's just hard for humans to change because even you can see a person in the most toxic situation and they choose to stay willingly because the toxic familiarity is almost more comforting than this unknown of what could be because could be isn't guaranteed but this pile of bad that i know i know it i know it toxic familiarity wow so you know i guess here let me kind of like take a a separate little like a sidestep over why why are you calling yourself a life coach versus a psychologist? What is the biggest difference between how you're approaching things uh, in, in, in your practice um, with those two terms? Because, I mean, for a while, for many years, you know, you just had to say, you know, say, look, I'm a life coach because I know how to give advice. Um, whereas, you know, you are a doctor. You have your your PhD. Um, was there what was the th- the thinking about between going into the the just being a straight up psychologist versus the the life coaching? Everybody asks me that question when I yeah. meet them because it's such an obvious question. So why are you you have a clinical training background and yet you're not in a hospital? Why are you yeah. a life coach? Um, and I think my answer was, so my, my, my story and all of these things, working with kids, working with adults, starting my business, going to grad school started off with curiosity. Mm, yes. And I had so many questions that wanted, I wanted to answer using a scientific approach. And so my journey of starting golden sheep was because of burnout. I had a moment where I finished residency, I came back to Texas, and this was my point of deciding what my next moves were upon waiting for graduation. And I thought, so burnt out. And it wasn't, it wasn't even three weeks where I sat here in the same spot thinking, gosh, I miss seeing patients. And this was me burnt out for seven years, throw in this whole global pandemic. Like I was done. I was ready to just take a break and just take care of my health um, internally and externally. And I thought, man, I missed this. How do I get back to doing that? 
And so then it almost fell into my lap. All these referrals came in. People were, you know, with that question of, you have your life together, help me. And I said, I don't, but I, I do have this little toolkit over here that I've gathered um, that may help. And so the difference between therapy and coaching is there's a place for everything. Everything is needed. Therapy, of course, there's going to be, I mean, depending on what setting you're practicing in, there is a time limit, but it's more processing and focus on criteria for diagnostic purposes versus coaching is very solution focused. Can therapy be solution focused? Absolutely. Depending on the therapist and what you're trying to do. But coaching is very much, these are the goals. This is how we quantify the goals. Of course, there's an element of processing. And, uh, but it's very, here's our schedule. This is a timeline. We're going to get on the same page. Most of my clients are in therapy and coaching at the same time with me. There's a place and we don't intersect at all. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you basically are your one-stop shop to mental health um, uh, and goal, goal achievement. Right. I don't do therapy uh, because that's not ethical, but I do have therapeutic approaches. Ah, okay. And I can't not think like a therapist. And so if I have a client who went to therapy and they come with a diagnostic question, I can absolutely answer it. And I can see where their therapist is coming from. I can even walk them through what their therapist is doing with them. Um, And of course, I have so many skills at therapy and doing diagnostic um, evaluations uh, has helped me be a better coach in a way, too. And again, there's so many unique approaches to coaching that Mm -hmm. mine is really rooted in my clinical training. Uh, me understand the difference a lot, and I'm sure it will also help others too. Um, the the um, so it sounds like you know when you were growing up, uh, you your parents encouraged you to go after the the ner- lear- the learning. Then how was it other parts of curiosity also rewarded, or was it more guided and 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 pushed more towards academic pursuits. So you would think from the stereotypes that an American, uh, an Asian American family would be pushing uh, me to be as educated as possible. And they did, they do support it. Um, It was definitely hard because, you know, this is a very immigrant perspective. They came, my, my parents always say this, and it's, it's literally true and figuratively true. They came here with two blank hands. They had nothing. My dad knew no more than 12 English words when he landed here. And they had to make something um, out of- American from, from Vietnam? From Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And I think because of that survival mode and making quite literally nothing into something, I think they're very, almost beyond realistic with what careers should look like. And so in their heads, if I'm going to spend this long in school, why am I not a medical doctor? And that was their initial thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think their their frustration, which I fought like for years, I think their frustration and confusion was really out of protection for me because they knew how hard it was and they knew that I had the resources. So I had the ability to, to pick faster and easier than them. Um, and honestly, in Vietnam, I mean, I think now it's evolving. But before, if you think of anyone in the mental health field, those people work in psych wards. And as we know, like psychologists, therapists, and uh, clinicians don't, we're not just limited to that setting. Um, And so I think it was just lack of knowledge on their end um, initially, and then just fear. 
fear that like you're, you're misusing all of your resources. Um, and so I think they know a little bit more now, especially since I had to, I started my own business and I've been making content to ho uh, hopefully appeal to many different people. Um, and so they're more curious now. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That, that, um, there are so many pieces of, of, of the people that we grew up around and the cultures that we grew up in. Every, you know, so much of, of that is based on survival. It's based on keeping us safe. And in those pieces, those parts, um, sometimes when they come out sideways, especially as a teenager, it's, it's very damaging to the long-term uh, well, growth and, and, and inner stability. Uh, those messages are hardwired and they are hard to unwind. Um, yeah. Have you found that any of your clients have been challenged with letting go of some of those old tapes because of out, especially because like, I know for me, some of, some of the old uh, uh, story storylines, when I, I dug deeply, I realized that they were there because I felt I was going to be a disloyal daughter if I let go of a certain mindset, a certain way mm -hmm. of, of uh, behaving. Um, have you also found that with your, with the, or have, have that, has that even become a, a thing? Uh, is that something that shows up in your clients and, or even maybe in yourself? It's almost having them make peace with the war that's within themselves so they can finally go to work by finding out what really makes them happy because you can't even do that while your inner self is just battling this dialogue that may or may not even exist oh that just hit me right in the chest <laughs> you said they have to learn how to stop going to war within themselves yeah. war is up so much on our planet right now and the oh more gosh, people yes. that can be at peace within themselves, they, they are not mm -hmm. going to be as willing to push that out onto others. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I want yeah. everybody to, I want everybody to have it, to have a, a, a Dr. Megan <laughs> in their world. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think my approach too is again, different from what a, a, I guess a textbook therapist would look like, right? Most therapists, they're very, um, you keep your emotions at bay because it's not about you. It's about the client and you don't want to muddy the waters, if you will. But I think, I mean, at least how I run my coaching, I will get angry with my client. If something upsetting happened with them, that's bad that it happened. I'm, I'm upset with you. Do we stay there? No. But I think sometimes some people need somebody in their corner, like in a genuine sense. I'll only mm -hmm. do that, obviously, if I feel the same way. But if I have a natural reaction of something really heart-wrenching that happened with my client i'll sit there with them in that moment and i think that itself is so therapeutic yeah and, and plus it's bonding between you know it, it fosters that sense of trust that they're truly being heard that their that their reaction isn't abnormal that doesn't make them weird that doesn't mean that they're you know that they're they're, they're actually valid. They're validating that. And that's, uh, that's, that's really good to hear. Um, when you are, 
So is there, okay, so I'm looking, think about, oh, curiosity uh, about in your body. So for me, whenever I get real curious I, about something, it's like almost, I'm almost being pulled towards. And sometimes I feel like I'm actually losing my balance because I get this almost heaviness in the chest area. And yeah. in the stomach, and it's like, okay, I need to, it's like the whole body's opening up and ready to envelop it. How about <laughs> you? When you find yourself getting curious about something, where do you feel it in your body? You know, I feel fear and it's tense in my upper body. So maybe my limbs up here. Okay. And the fear is because if I'm curious, I'm going to want to dig. And if I dig and I find that, hey, there's there's something here, I know I'm going to go for it. And if you go for something, there's that risk of how's it going to end? Mm. <laughs> so I, I'm in, I, I go for things. I really, really do. Um, I may drag my feet a little bit, um, may take that anxiety in a backpack and run with it, but I'm going. And so I think curiosity is like, oh boy, where, where's this going to go? Cause it's going to go somewhere. <laughs> I wonder if there's a way that, that fear could be released. Um, what if you imagined right now that fear backpack if you could maybe keep the backpack because, you know, you got to add some yeah. tools to your toolkit. But what if the we could visualize that fear part of if as as like a, a rock or a series of rocks? And if you could imagine letting those out. And you could just take them out and take a look at them. And maybe maybe they don't even need to go back to whoever gave them to you. You could just <laughs> leave them on the ground and let the let the earth absorb it. But see about how that feels. Just to see next time you get something you, you get uh, you know intrigued by something. Um, no, but that is uh, is interesting. I like I like what you said there, though, that there is and there honestly, there is a little bit of that fear, because sometimes in order to bring something else into your world to make space for it, you have to put something else down. You know, we only have two hands and right. and, you know, you can only carry so many things. It's um, you know, one of the things about receiving, you know, I always tell people that. You know, there, there's always that 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 uh, phrase. You know, it's better to give than receive. Well, but if you don't have anybody to give to, uh, there, you, you, you <laughs> I mean, anyway, no. people have to be willing to receive. But curiosity for me is is that well, if I'm going to spend my time investigating this, that takes time away from doing something else uh, over here. So if you're saying yes to this. What else are you saying no to? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you don't really know if the yes is if that if there's if it's a valid enough yes that warrants letting go of something mm -hmm. else that you really that that has worked for you. Mm -hmm. But you also can't evaluate that until you go at least dip your toe in a little bit. You don't necessarily need to go dive head first. Yeah. Although there's a good yeah. question. Is there been one of those moments where you've dived in head first only to find out that, ooh, hmm, maybe I should have stuck with the toe? Yeah. 
had to take a deep breath on that because there's so I think there's so many moments and I don't think I have an answer yet for you because I'm still in progress in process mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. I'm in such a transition period if you asked me on some days I would say my business because there's some days I'm like what am I doing and then some days like last night sorry my dog is in, my oh, dog is part I'm, of this too <laughs> um and then there's some days like last night where I'm like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing because I have something to offer. So I think sometimes it's, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm still figuring it out too. And maybe in a year or two, I'll, I'll have an answer for you. But I think my answer now is it comes in spurts of what am I doing? And, Oh yes, I am. I have something to offer in this. <laughs> well, Megan, that's the, the lifespan of being an entrepreneur. Uh, anytime <laughs> you're in business for yourself, you know, it, it is, it is such a peak and valley experience and finding that consistent uh, forward momentum. It's, it's hard. It's very hard. I I've been, I've had my own business. I've been, I've been an active feng shui consultant and a transformational coach myself for over 20 years. And there are days when I'm like, I know, I know stuff, but <laughs> This is not, you know, this is not what I signed up for. I want to go and have all the peak experiences all the time. But then, you know, right. then the paperwork comes in or, yes. then there's, yeah, or then there's that, you know, that, that inevitable breather where you're mm -hmm. kind of in between clients because, hey, you've already helped them, you know, get to, you, you you've solved some, you know, so many big problems for this certain group of people. And, but because you're busy helping to solve, help them solve that problem, there wasn't the extra marketing to bring the new ones in. Yeah. It's, it is that it is a peak and valley experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, back to that backpack with the rocks analogy, I think so many people are so ready to dump the backpack and then just move on. But I just don't think it works like that. I think we need a little bit of weight because stress keeps us on top of our stuff. Mm -hmm. It keeps us aware. I also think what we really need to focus on is sometimes not about dumping the rocks out, but really pulling the rocks out to really look at it. What is it? How much does it weigh? Why did I pick this up along the way of this hike? Right. So I think like even examining like, okay, I have to sit down. This is real true, true story. I have to sit down and do my expenses for last month today. <laughs> why am I anxious about this? <laughs> Or why am I dragging my feet? And I think in understanding that, like the answer may surprise a lot of us. You know, that actually brings up a super fun little topic about curiosity. And that is, where did our money stories come from? Why is it oh. so scary to, to look at this, the, uh, the, the impact of this tool? You know, it is money impacts all of us. And I just know for me, money was really demonized. You know, there was, because again, I grew up on a farm and talk about you know, <laughs> feast and famine. That is that exactly it. You know, there, there, springtime was always a little bit lean because, you know, all the extra money had to go towards buying seed. And then you mm. plant the crop and you hope that the weather gods work in your favor. Uh, mm -hmm. and so spending any little tiny bit, um, even now I, I get real, <laughs> I have to take that deep breath and, and I do, I evaluate, <laughs> is this something that I really need or is this just a one is, or is this trying to fill that, 
that joy meter that you know, was so depleted as a child, you know, going to mm -hmm. Disneyland was, that was never going to happen as a child for me. <laughs> You know, watching a Disney movie, maybe if it was on TV and we didn't have to go pay, go to the movies for it. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's, I'm curious now what your thoughts are on that. My answer is going to be a cultural lens. I think I'm not speaking for all Asians here. I'm speaking for my family and my life. Um, I just think money is tied into your personal value. And it's not even a value. It's almost a necessity. And lack of says so much more about you than being in abundance even. So if mm -hmm. somebody is financially successful, it's almost like, okay, well, obviously. How else <laughs> would you be? But if you're not what people label as financially stable or successful even, it, it almost says so much more that has nothing to do with actually the finances itself. And so I think because it's so ingrained in me, um, not being financially like there yet or like where I need to be, or even when I'm there, I want more. I, I think that perspective, while I'm still working on it, it's still there to be worked on. You know, I really appreciate your vulnerability in sharing this with, uh, with us on this podcast, because I do think that because as a society, money, money is very important, but it's also very taboo. It's this weird push-pull relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really one of the reasons why I try to talk about it just as a tool. It is not a value judgment of or a, you know, a, a measure of your worth as a human. Mm -hmm. It simply is your, your, your gives you more choices. Yeah, that's very true. You know, money doesn't buy happiness, but it does offer you a lot of choices. Yeah. And when you have choices, you can make make them with from an easier standpoint, which, again, brings us back to the life coaching piece, because I think one of, you know, as as someone who is guiding people along, making a lot of these different choices that do end up leading to changes, it's all about change management. Um mm -hmm. I think what is what is one of your favorite techniques for helping people manage that uh, that that change process? The you know the the you know the, the decision tree that goes into is this the right move for me or not? Mm -hmm. I think building two things, having them understand that, and I always say this: motivation runs on momentum. So building that momentum while having them understand that momentum is temporary, hence why it's so powerful. It's that oomph, right? Think if you think about like an, a firework, it's beautiful, it's bright, but then mm -hmm. in an instant it's gone. And so as we build this momentum and get you going, like we get you off that ramp, we build up discipline in the background because discipline is the thing that needs to be built in that that silence that that day in and day out consistency and it doesn't need to be this crazy olympian athlete effort but if you ask any athlete or anyone who's done anything that you're like whoa or worth like reporting or talking about it's the small stuff it's nothing extraordinary that they do excellence is achieved when you do the same thing over and over again without giving up and in that space of wanting to give up, that's one more step that they take of the same thing they've been doing. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think building up momentum in the forefront, but then building discipline habits in the background, I think that is what leads to not only change happening, but change that lasts. There was a um, meme that I saw and I, I wish I would have saved it, but I <laughs> scrolled away and I couldn't, couldn't find it again. But I just remember the little, the little headline was discipline is an emotion. Hmm. And that kind of, I've, I've let, had that roll around in my head for a while. Um, but again, if you think about emotion, energy and motion, emotion, you know, the, the, it's, it, it kind of does work with what you were just saying that, uh, yeah, it does require the momentum to get up off the couch to go to the gym. But then once you're there, you're really happy that you're there. Okay. Maybe af not after the, 20th burpee, but <laughs> I hate burpees, but yes. Oh, uh, yeah, no, but I also know too that, you know, so like, um, I just started working out again for, uh, consistently, uh, at a gym for the first time in quite a number of years. And it's amazing to me how quickly someone can get deconditioned. Even if it's just a few days, you miss a few workouts and next thing you yep. know, oh my heavens, why is everything <laughs> much harder? Um, yeah. But again, coming back to that, that motivation, what are some of the, I guess you have to figure out what is motivating for somebody. Yeah. Um, and what are the barriers mm. and being real with themselves too. Um, and that's the thing. We'll, we'll set up a weekly goal, for example, and all of my clients, patients across my training has always done this. Oh, that won't happen. I won't get distracted. Okay. Because I always ask, what do you think is going to get in the way? And I even have them because everyone's like, no, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this. But as we know, change is hard. We even visualize, okay, if you're going to sit down at that chair and do this, what do you like the ceiling collapsing? Like we think of every scenario, not to catastrophically freak them out. But to really prepare to say, okay, what, how do we optimize your success here? Let's build up your success by identifying what's going to get in the way. And even thinking about when you last sat down to do this, why, what stopped you? Going back in time even too. Yeah. So what's the craziest, okay, not crazy. That's not the right word. <laughs> what is the most creative excuse that someone has come up with as to why they thought they were, they were not going to be able to achieve their goal. Because I'm a pro, I, I, I admit it, I have procrastination tendencies. That because, <laughs> again, I, I grew up as believing that if I made a mistake, that that would lose the love and admiration of my teachers and parents. And so, you know, I've got this, this high bar of perfectionism. And when I can't do something perfectly, I procrastinate because, you know, why avoid the pain of not doing something perfectly? And, right. and that's where I think a lot of my shiny object syndrome really <laughs> um, got honed. And... And I've been working through that one uh, myself for a long time. So that's kind of my, you know, because you know, I had to get really curious about, you know, why is it that I, I would create so many of those little barriers? So how about you and, and or some <laughs> of your clients? What are some of their more creative ways of 
uh, tricking them into believing that the their goal is not attainable? I think the funniest excuses or the funniest comments are always the simplest ones that I'm like, you didn't even think about this answer. And I had a client repeat that, like, because so I said, okay, so I had you do like X goal. What do you think got in the way? And they said, well, my partner was asleep. And I'm like, what, help me, help me understand how that, you know, and they're like, well, they were supposed to let me use their Google account. And I'm like, okay, I want you to write down exactly what you just told me. Like, write it down on a piece of paper and read it to yourself. And the funny thing is, saying it out loud didn't strike a cue for them. But they, when they wrote it, they're like, oh, that does sound kind of silly, huh? <laughs> and it's almost like the justifications that have no, like, connection. It doesn't make any sense. Like, how we put this almost, like, if we can't handle the stress or, like, the procrastination, we put it onto somebody else to say, well, well, my partner was supposed to be there. To do what? And I even, like ask follow-up questions and say, were they supposed to help you write this cover letter? Or they're like, oh, um, no, it was on their computer. Where's the computer? In the living room. Do you have access to the living room? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's how our mind works. It is psychs ourselves out. We psych ourselves out so much that it just, it's it's almost silly, and I think just again validating it, make even laughing at the situation. I'm like, do you hear how silly this sounds? And you know, like, and it just having this laughing moment to be like, okay, so when I asked you what's going to get in the way, there was a reason why, because I've seen this time and again, and I think people really need to hear that they're not all that unique. I know that sounds really like backwards, but we're not that unique in the struggles that we have. And thinking that our problems are so unique and that we're so special to be the only one anxious and putting this off. No, 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 no. You're not alone. <laughs> I, I really like that um, breakdown that you just did, that this is someone who, who you know, that, and that it is, it's, it is so much easier to, to blame others for uh, <laughs> For really things that sometimes those I have to admit sometimes things really are out of your control. Yeah. Uh, there, there truly are those times. Like maybe, maybe the the if if the computer had been in the uh, bedroom and their partner was asleep and they had just come off a an overnight shift and really desperately needed their sleep, then I could see that that would be a more valid excuse. Except that you could have had, you know, left a note to say, can you please leave the computer, move the computer in and put it in the, the living room since oh, so I can mm -hmm. use that. Um, I, what would, would you say the percentages of people putting their um, indecision off onto other people? I would say 50-50. You think so? Yeah. I think about half. Again, I'm looking at not just only my coaching clients, but even patients at any age. I would say probably about half. And then the rest would have like different personal reasons of like, I got distracted or I was too anxious. Um, but it always comes down to the same answer as to why they didn't do it. It's almost the fear of not even failing at doing it, but the fear of if they do get it done, what happens next? It's interesting, right? Yeah. Wow. Like, what if I do this and it works? 
Ja. <laughs> ja. 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 So it's like, I wrote the cover letter, but I almost didn't want to send it to you because if it's submitted, what if they interview me? Isn't that what we wanted? But wait a minute. Them interviewing means that's another hurdle. Now it's real. Now if I interview, they can say no to my face. Or now that I interview, I may want it. And then they say no to your face and then you're just left with a disappointment. And a cover letter. Yeah. And that's what they said. They're like, what do I have left? Just this cover letter? And I said, yes, it's just you, the rejection and the cover letter. And you know what? You're going to take that cover letter and go to another job because now you have, you have tools. Hmm. I, I like how you are so calm and, and approaching that and yet firm. It, you know, you're, you're that, you're that nice combination of, of, <laughs> Velvet, the, the velvet switch. <laughs> <laughs> velvet switch. <laughs> yeah, again, I'm not a, a typical therapist. Like, I will straight up say, okay, oh, you didn't do your homework. That sucks. <laughs> talk about this. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. We're going to talk about this now, right? And again, I think I'm I'm very soft, as you said, but at the same time, I'm straight shot tequila. <laughs> but do if you, you want to know... Oh yeah, I don't know. No, nope. yeah. I don't think you do the warm part. <laughs> <laughs> hey, people always again like not many people understand like the difference between therapy and coaching, and even they don't even know what each of it is. But coaching, at least, is not somebody warm and fuzzy giving you advice or just your buddy that you vet to. You know what I mean? Like that's what grandparents are for. You want to get stuff done? I'm your person. Wonderful. Well, Megan, um, do you have any special offers or any any advice on um, how people can get started working with you? And do you only see people in person? I do both. So I do one on one coaching, which is can be online or in person. I half of my case that I actually see in person just because of the different things that we're working on. Um, I also do wellness workshops and talks for different corporate settings, community health clinics, and just different organizations. Um, and that's been another curious journey for me is that I have always loved education. I've always taught other, been a TA or worked in research and helped mentor. Um, but this has been able, I've been able to teach and share knowledge in a different way through these workshops. Um, so that's really, that's been fun too. But yeah, I see clients both in person and virtually um, for many different concerns. But the, the case law that I have right now is people from many walks of life, many chapters, many age ranges, and all of them come to a point of what's next for me and how yeah. do I get there? Um, so that's what I do. But how to get started with me is, of course, checking out my website, goldensheeplifecoaching.com. But even more so, checking out my Instagram page, which sounds really silly, sorry. Um, but I post little medical minutes on there. Um, sorry, I didn't know if the audio lost. No, you didn't lose the audio, just go ahead. But um, my Instagram page where I post like little snippets of videos, we can get us like almost an appetizer of what I sound like, my approaches and explaining things, a little bit of what I know. Um, so I think that would be a really great start. Um, there. So your Instagram is, is it just Instagram or do you also post on TikTok? 
I'm everywhere, but find me on Instagram. That's the place that I know what I'm doing the most. Because <laughs> Twitter is no longer Twitter, it's X. So that's unsettling. And then there's yeah. Facebook, which I don't, yeah. So, and then TikTok is just, I think I'm too old for TikTok, but Instagram is a nice, nice middle. TikTok is just too much. It's too fast, too much. Okay. I'm I'm laughing because I have so many people telling me that, oh, you need to be on TikTok. And I'm like, uh, if you're saying that you're too old to be on TikTok, TikTok, Megan, what? I guess, what you, you know, I guess they do need that, that, that grandparenty type, you know, not that I'm that old. I'm barely, I don't know. I'm old enough to be a grandparent, but uh, that's okay. I don't need to be. <laughs> Maybe you'll um, like it. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but I like the visual aspect of, of Instagram more. Yeah. Okay, um, but it's under yeah. Golden the Golden Sheep Life Coaching as well on yes. Instagram. It sounds like yes. okay, so you've got everything consistent throughout it. So okay, yes. well in the show notes, I'll make sure that I, I have that listed there. And if there's any other, um, like any other kind of specials, any are you doing any kind? So you say you're doing more corporate things. Is that also the same thing for business owners who are listening and want to? uh look at how you could come in and help them are you doing like more with teams helping teams figure out how to understand each other better or is it more um kind of like a general overview for the businesses um any and all um the last three talks that i did was over how to navigate change you didn't ask for and just stress management compassion fatigue and so I handle my, my talks as I do individual clients. We have a first free consult where you and I will meet um, and discuss what the needs are. What questions do you want answered and how do I approach it in my specialty, right? Like I'm not a business coach in any way. I'm not going to be talking to you about how to run a, a corporation, but I, I do know my clinical skills. Um, and I know how to talk about stress and the brain and the neurobiology behind it and how it's applicable to your daily life. So um, that's what we do is sit down and talk about, okay, what are the questions? Um, this is what I can offer. And collaboratively, how do we present this information in a way that's applicable um, and relevant to your employee? So like, I'll give you an example. One of the um, community health clinics in Austin that I'm doing talks for, uh, I reached out to be able to provide services for their patients. And they replied to me saying, you know what? Our providers need so much support. Is there a way you can tailor that talk to them? And I said, absolutely. I just finished training. I know the struggle is so real. I get it. I get it. Um, and so I've been doing talks for, for their staff and admin. Oh, so wow. it's, mm -hmm. And I just did a talk for them over compassion fatigue. And some people even said, honestly, we never even knew that there was a terminology for what we felt. And that's compassion fatigue. We care so much, but so little at the same time. So, um, so that's really what I do. And even on the one-on-one -on -one coaching aspect, it's the same thing. We get to know you again, how I can help you and what, and mapping out what our time together will look like. Because I think a good coach at the end of the day is somebody that is supposed to be gone by the end of the time. If I'm successful, you should have tools to use for the rest of your life. When you're successful, not if. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, um, and yes, like I, I, any tool, any tool, sometimes they need to be upgraded. Sometimes they, they need to be uh, cleaned and, you know, sharpened or whatever. But, um, wow, well, this has been wonderful, Megan. Um, I, I'm so happy we had this time together. Uh, and for anybody, you know, again, I'll, I'll put that uh, information in the bottom, but goldensheeplifecoaching.com uh, to talk with uh, Dr. Megan. Um, and, of course, 
beverlybeal.com is where you're going to find any of the information about my own personal blend of coaching. But the way I approach it, it's more from an energy standpoint. And that's a different kettle of fish than what what Megan, uh, what you are offering. You know, you definitely have the more science based things. Um, in in the ideal world, uh, uh, people could come talk to me about getting some of the energetic pieces handled, and then I would send them on to Megan to help really ground things into their day to day lives. And uh, that's one of the things that I think we might end up actually doing something like that in the future. So stay tuned. Um, anyway, well, thanks again so much, Megan, for coming and for taking the time. Um, we'll hopefully find another option to, to dissect and explore down the road. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Beverly, for having me. It was great chatting with you. And obviously off screen, we'll keep chatting and thinking about different creative projects for 2024. Yes, we're going to have a lot. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye.